1: Welcome to The Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, March 15th. What a Monday. It was at the 2022 Indian Wells, a day that saw upsets in both the men's and women's singles draws, but perhaps most importantly, it was a day that saw some fantastic tennis unfold for all of us fans to enjoy. And what I want to do on today's show is break down who the most impressive performers were from Monday's results. Of course, there were a bunch of matches for us to discuss. Certainly, I have to hit on what, in my opinion, was the signature Victory of Jensen Brooksby's young career. He overcomes a set deficit to knock off number five seed Stefano Tsitsipas in three sets. What allowed Brooksby to overcome that deficit and take control of the match in the third? That's something I want to discuss. I also want to explain why I think his performance may have been the most impressive one on the day. But of course, you look beyond him. Someone even younger than him looked even better on court. Of course, I'm referring to the young Spaniard, Carlos Alcro gets better and better every match we see him play and it was a Dominant victory for Alcaraz 6-2-6 love Over Roberto Bautista You put up a scoreline like that You're certainly in the conversation For most impressive performance of the day Is it time to start thinking about Alcaraz As something beyond just one of the game's future stars Is he a star right now? Is Carlos Alcaraz a top 10 player? I want to explain why the stats Why the eye test Indicate the answer to that question Is far closer to yes Than it would be to no at this point of his career Of course you look beyond those two You've got on the women's side Marketa Von She has just been on a tear Since earning that silver medal at the Olympics She earns a three set victory Over Annette Kanteve Now certainly that feels like a match We've seen Kanteve struggling At multiple points Despite all of her success Over the past six months And yet I want to explain Why in my opinion That result has more to do with Von Drusva And why she is is the storyline coming out of that Result of course he had a three set win From Riley Opelka he overcomes That loss he took to Denis Shapovalov In Australia gets the better Of him in California today Rafa overcomes a first set Break deficit to knock off Dan Evans Yannick Sinner survives In three sets Nick Kyrgios may also Have been your most impressive performer Of the day straight set victory Over Ruud. of course that was majority Men's matches You uh, majorly, excuse me you look on the the women's side. Plenty of fun results for us to discuss. Certainly if you watched Paula Bedosa Sarah ceribes Tormo, that first set extraordinarily competitive of course ultimately it was Bedosa who managed to advance. I want to talk about how she was able to do that. You look uh, beyond that matchup. You had of course Leila Fernandez, the three set win over Shelby Rogers. You had Maria Sakari, dominant performance over Petra Kvitova, Elena Rybakina versus Vika, Golobich versus Paulini, plenty of intrigue for us to discuss in that women's singles draw as well, want to try and hit on all of that on today's show as such, as you can imagine, going to be riding Han Solo on this podcast, this was the first day of the tournament, I got to lock into this event from the start, got to catch at least 10-15 minutes of pretty much every match on the board as such, I have many a thoughts to discuss here on today's show and of course the reason I am able to do that day in day out here on the mini break podcast is because of the support we get from all of you listeners because of the support we get from our Crack rackets patreon family and of course because of the support we get from our friends at tennis point if you need any equipment to upgrade your game new racket new strings new shoes new clothing new fits you put in a lot of work this off season you've gone down from a large to a medium from a medium to a small whatever it is it may be extra large to large double XL to XL, still equally impressive, whatever it may be, or maybe you've gone up a size because you've been bulking up like Carlos Alcaraz. Point being, anything you need from a clothing perspective, a racket perspective, a string perspective, our friends at Tennis Point have you covered. You can find it all in one location, all at the best prices. I know for me personally, I just upgraded, got a new pair of Nikes on my feet. I'm going to be rocking and rolling into this spring tennis season. You should be as well. Get the latest and greatest equipment with our friends at Tennis Point. You go to tennis-point.com right now and use our promo code CR15 at checkout. Not only will you let them know we sent you there, you'll get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders, exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, tennis-point.com. The symbol, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. That promo code is CR15. With all of that said, let's get into Monday. Action and I know I discussed some of it on yesterday's second mini break podcast with David Kane. In particular, we did talk a bit about that Medvedev, uh, Medvedev, excuse me, Monfils matchup, but I'll get to that at the end. I have to start with the Jensen Brooksby victory over Stefano Siti because to me this is your match of the day. If you have been following the ATP Tour closely over the past, you know, 52 weeks over the, since the start of last season, the rise of Jensen Brooksby unequivocally, a top 10 storyline. We've discussed it at length here at Cracked Rackets, and we're fortunate enough to obviously have spoken with Jensen many a times, dating back to his Kalamazoo victory all of those years ago, his decision to go to Baylor, his U.S. Open success before Baylor, obviously the challenger success he had at the start of last season, but... Let's forget everything Jensen did prior to playing an ATP tour-level event, and let's forget the 2019 U.S. Open success as well. Let's just look at Jensen over these last 52 weeks or since the start of 2021 on the ATP tour. Jensen Brooksby, through his first 30 matches, we'll say first 30 serious matches as a professional tennis player, he is 21-9. and Let me say that again. First 30 matches as a professional tennis player, he is 20 and 9. And you look at the breakdown by ranking of these players, he's played 16 top 50 players during this stretch of time. The 21 year old Jensen Brooksby is 8 and 8 against the top 50 during that stretch of time. That includes wins over Felix Auger-Aliassime uh, at the City Open where he made the semifinals last summer. That includes a win over Taylor Fritz, Aslan Karatsev uh, in the round of 64, round of 32 last season at the U.S. Open, of course, reaching the round of 16 there where he wins the first set 6-1 against Novak Djokovic. At that moment, you thought that was the pinnacle for Brooksby to that point. Of course, he goes on to you know get a victory over Riley Opelka indoors in Antwerp at the end of the season. He gets a win over Hatchinov, 0-3 in the round of 64 here in Indian Wells. But this is the first signature victory. You look for uh, Jensen Brooksby to this point of his career. He had never had a top 10 victory. He never had a top 5 victory. Well, guess what? He has that now in his three-set victory over Stefano Tsitsipas. And you look just again what he was able to do so well as Brooksby repeatedly does. He is a high-percentage Tennis player He's not going to overwhelm you With too much pace And you know Wow you with weapons Although I want to get to why I think his forehand Has turned into a weapon In a second But you look for Brooksby He played the math Made 73% of those first serves. If you watch the match, particularly sets two, sets three, how many of them went either into that Stefano Tsitsipas backhand corner or just into his body? Nothing to the forehand wing. He knew the spot he wanted to hit. He found his rhythm with that spot. Yes, every so often he would try to crank it up and try and get to, you know, 110, 115, 120 on the first serve. But for him, most importantly, was again, just hitting that spot and saying, okay, Stefanos, if you want to hit a forehand, you're going to compromise your footwork you're going to compromise your positioning you're going to have all of your momentum moving left and his first ball was going to the open court every time and you know Jensen again he puts the ball on a dime I would argue he has the best hands top five hands on the ATP tour because if he gets his racket on the ball it's coming back to you with depth With some sort of spin, whether it's a chop slice that just has nothing on it or just, you know, this loopy lob that's just going to, you know, get back on you deeper than you think and neutralize any aggressive opportunity you might have or bait you into prematurely attacking. You know, Brooksby's hands, he just puts the ball on on the spot and he obviously the backhand drop shot, which he loves to mix in and, you know, the volleys, which, yeah, aesthetically, again, technique-wise, they're not your classic volleys and yet he's so effective with them. His hands are ridiculous, and he just can put the ball His feel, uh, it's exceptional You see it, and you look for Jensen During this stretch of time, again, 21-9 and He's got a 26.2 break percentage uh, Through his 30 ATP matches That would rank 14th Amongst top 50 players On the ATP Tour, he's 21 years old He's playing his first 30 matches Of ATP Tour action, he's ranking 13th amongst top 50 players In terms of break percentage That's why you look for him right now, by the way He's up to number 43 in the rankings entering this week and now with this result Jensen Brooksby of course not a surprise up to a new career high of number 39 he's into the top 40 for the first time of his career the results indicate that that's where he belongs and you look for Brooksby again as because he doesn't have the massive pop on the first serve it doesn't look via the eye test like an overwhelming weapon, you think, well, the return must be where he has his significant advantage. Well, he also holds serve 83% of the time, and you look for the average amongst top 50 player hold percentage is 81.6. So, again, he is holding 83% of the time. That's better than the average top 50 player. He's also breaking serve 26.3% of the time. That is... 13th amongst top 50 players Now you look for him That break percentage again That 83.2% uh, That number right now Ranks for him 19th amongst top 50 players He's a top 20 club guy right now At age 21 And again You just You watch him play I think we've already seen Physical improvements Manifest themselves In improvements in his game What do I mean by that? Well if you watched him play Against Stefano Pass yesterday And certainly These Indian Wells court conditions Help I think the forehand has turned into a weapon And on this surface in particular where the ball, you know, it's such a gritty court It's such a slow court that ball does sit up in your strike zone that much more When Tsitsipas would either float a backhand, you know, down the line that he couldn't quite get cross court Or, you know, leave a forehand short in the middle when he's on the run Brooksby could snap that forehand off. Whether it was a couple of cross-court forehand winners he hit, obviously he's comfortable hitting the inside out as well. That ball has turned into a weapon. His backhand down the line has always been a weapon, and he hit that ball so well against Pass to keep him honest as, as opposed to allowing Pass to camp out in that side corner of the court. And then again, what's always most impressive about Jensen Brooksby is the way he competes. He loses that first set 6-1 to Tsitsipas, breaks right away. To start off that second set And same thing in the third set Just builds his lead so quickly in the third And again, he just gets under your skin He just frustrates you Because how many times do you think you have Jensen Brooks Be completely on the stretch And he fires up some bump lob That just happens to land on the baseline Or he gets his hands on the ball And goes cross court at some short angle That now you can't play the aggressive tennis You wanted to play if you were Pass. And he did a great job of taking that Pass serve Return early and on the line And you look for him yesterday. Again, in terms of his return percentages, 150% of his second serve uh, points created 12 break point chances for himself. I mean, you see, again, it's the The complete skill set And even though he doesn't have the overwhelming weapon He's developing them And even though he doesn't have the most explosive first step He just reads the game so well Some people are just tennis players I know again, astute analysis there Alex But some people, if you've been around the game long enough They just find ways to win points And it's never the same pattern It's never the same routine But it's the the relentlessness The ruthlessness And it's, I don't want to say Djokovician Because that's such a stereotypical well, he just finds a way to grind out points and win points because I do think there's a little bit more structure. And obviously, you know, Djokovic's backhand, as good as Brooksby's is, is still another level. And, you know, again, I think as a mover, Novak Djokovic is probably the best of all time. Brooksby is not that. And yet, his ability to just find ways to survive in points, and then the moment you leave something in the center of the court, he makes you pay, and just again, the discipline with which he plays, the fact that he really does not quit on any point... It gets under players' skins. I mean, go listen to the Tsitsipas press conference where he talks about, well, I thought Brooksby got a lot of let chords that went his way, and he put that that part of the match in play. Like, if you're complaining about the amount of let chords your opponent got, he has gotten under your skin. And, you know, CT Pass did go on to say, you know, Jensen just does everything pretty well. There's no discernible glaring weakness. You think you can attack the second serve, but if you leave him that much open court with your momentum moving forward, he's going to make you pay, and he's going to hit that ball to the open court, to the open space. And just, again, you look for Brooksby now, it's... How well he's repeated these results over and over again. Twenty-one and nine now in his last fifty-two weeks at the ATP level. That's excluding all of the challenger success he's had as well. You look for him over this stretch of time. Again, he's gone finals in Newport where he lost to Kevin Anderson. Semifinals Washington he loses to Yannick Sinner who goes on to win the event. U.S. Open he loses to Novak and Djokovic four sets in the round of sixteen. Semifinals Antwerp he loses to Diego Schwartzman. Finals in Dallas. He loses to Opelka, it was a first round loss for him in Acapulco But of course if you watch that 3 hour, 20 minute marathon Between he and Alex Virov, that went to what, like 4 o'clock in the morning Or whatever it was, that was another sensational result
0: Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG One at newbalance.com.
1: And now he's made a couple of matches, whether it's the Owen 31 against Hatchinoff or three-set win over Boss, he's made it look like he belongs in the top 30, like he belongs in this discussion. And I tweeted this out, and this is one of the broader takeaways, certainly, who's been most impressive. The, that rant on Brooksby, a manifestation of why he's been impressive, but the American men in general. Riley Opelka's three-set victory over Denis Shapovalov, which I guess I'll talk about now here. I was planning to talk about it in a little bit, but you look at what Riley's done here, and just he has held 96.3% of the time. To start this season, I went back and looked up what is John Isner's, you know, career high for a single season. And you look at the numbers for Isner; his career high is ninety four point eight. So Riley, ninety four point nine. Excuse me. So right now, Riley Opelka is serving better than Prime John Isner. I looked at some other players as well. Ivo Karlovic never hit a ninety six percent season. Roger Federer, who's an outstanding server, he never hit a ninety six percent season. I don't think anyone in ATP tennis history, I'll go look back, but I don't think Pistol Pete, Pete Sampras, ever had a 96 percentage, even in an era where, again, you're playing on ice, essentially, on some of these indoor hard courts where the ball is just moving so quickly. And, again, you're playing on carpet as well, where you're just holding serve far more frequently. This is a record. This is a historic start to a season. And we're only 17 matches in for Riley Opelka. But he's 13-4 now overall on the year. And you look for Opelka and what he's done here to start his season and who those losses have been to for Opelka. When you add the context, again, Riley here this season, 13-4 and four overall now. You look at who the losses have been to. Obviously, he starts off the season, the loss to Cressy in Melbourne, 4-6, 7-6, 7-6. Well, A, he wasn't broken in that match. B, we all know what Cressy went on to do uh, throughout the course of that Australia. Not a bad loss in my opinion. He then loses in the Sydney semifinals to Andy Murray. Loses in three sets in that match to Murray. You know, that's the one you're probably kicking yourself if you're Opelka. You want that match back. He then, at the Australian Open, beats Anderson, beats Shampoval, uh, beats, quote for, excuse me, loses to Shapovalov in four sets. Since that moment, again, you look for Riley Opelka. Wins the tournament in Dallas. Makes the final in Delray Beach. Ends up losing 6-6 six and six to Cam Norrie in a match where he was not broken it's the discipline we've seen for Opelka. Outside of that Murray match, and Andy Murray's going to come up with magic from time to time. He's still Andy freaking Murray. Like I I yes in the context of what we now know Murray is in 2022, it's not the best loss for Opelka. But the losses are Nori, Chapeau, Murray in 3 sets, Cressy in 3 sets, and in th- uh, excuse me, in 2 of the 4 losses he wasn't broken. That's about all you can ask from the big man at this point of his career. And you look for Riley Opelka, who is 25 years old in August of this year. It's time for him to ascend towards the prime of his career. He is serving like a man. In the prime of his career, and the confidence that that brings allows him to just take chances as a returner, and you watched him do that yesterday against Shapovalov because, again, he was making 73% of his first serves. He was winning 74% of those first serve points. Not only is the hold percentage at a career high, and excuse me, it's 96.6 to that 94.8 of Isner, 96.6, not 96.3. He's winning 83.3% of his first serves. That's also a career high. He's winning 61% of his second serve points. You know, that's also a career high. And perhaps most importantly, he's breaking serve 10.9% of the time. Now, that doesn't seem like a big number, and that still ranks 49th amongst top 50 players. But it's above his career average by an entire percentage point. And again, with the frequency with which he's holding serve, it allows him to take more chances. It allows him to be more confident as a returner in baseline rallies simply with how well he is now hitting the first serve. And his kick serve on this Indian Wells court, you better hit a perfect return because with how much time he has moving forward and his wingspan, he's on top of the net. He's covering just about every inch of the net there, and it is damn near impossible to do anything when he's hitting the serve that well. You look for him again this season. Wins over guys like Shapovalov, like a Brooksby, like an Isner, like a Kopfer, like a Nakashima. It's the best start to a season. For Riley Opelka, there's a reason right now He's the top-ranked American And by the way, with this result here at Indian Wells Riley Opelka into the round of 16 He's up to number 16 in the world That's a career high for Opelka Right now, the highest-ranked American We've got two of them in the top 20 And again, I think there's a world Where we could have seven Americans Seated at the 2022 U.S. Open I know I said that yesterday Just look at the live rankings right now Opelka, 16 Fritz, 19 Isner, 22 Tiafoe, 30 Paul 37, Corda 38, Brooksby 39. Paul, Corda, Brooksby, all at career highs in the rankings, all ascending upwards. You look, by the way, a couple guys not far off. Marcos Giron, 51. Mackie McDonald, 53. If Brandon Nakashima takes another leap forward this year, I know he's a little bit lower in the ranking than those guys at 80, but you feel like maybe that's in play. Of course, Cressy's at 70 in the rankings right now as well. It's been a really good tournament for American men's tennis And my friend Chris Otto pointed out that it's the most American men to reach the round of 32 uh, Since the 1994 Indian Wells Obviously 1994, we're talking Sampras, Agassi, Courier, Chang at the peaks of their powers And, you know, Malavia Washington, the Todd Martins of the world That's the golden generation in American men's tennis This group's not quite there and it's not even on the precipice of being there because they need to put forward some big match results. But you look right now, again, Brooksby's through to the round of 16. Opelka's through to the round of 16. Tommy Paul, Taylor Fritz, Francis Tiafo, John Isner, Stevie Johnson, they're all competing for spots in the round of 16 today. None of them against one another. So I'm... Again, how can you not feel good if you're an American men's tennis fan? We should get an American man into the quarterfinals of Indian Wells for the second consecutive season, and for the second consecutive season, it could very likely not be John Isner. That's progress. That's unequivocal progress. There's no denying that fact. Gone are the days of the one-off, you know, not trying to be disrespectful, but like Dennis Kudla makes the fourth round in Wimbledon, and we're all super excited about that. But how replicable was Kudla's success across courts? I, I'm not ripping on you, Dennis. You know I love Dennis Kudla, friend of the program here. It is to say his success didn't feel as sustainable across surfaces, and he just wasn't as young as these guys are at, and at the rate they're having success. Again, for, uh, you know, some of the other Americans in this event, certainly Tommy Pauls looked exceptional in his three-set win over Zirev, which we talked about yesterday with David Kane, and Fritz has made his victories look routine thus far in this event. I thought J.J. Wolf played a really good match against RBA. Jack Sock played a fantastic match against Paz That's the best I've seen Sock look on a court in quite a bit of time, more than anything else. He looked fit. He, you know what? It's the best I've seen him play since he played Nadal at the City Open, and now that's twice where Jack Sock has played that while well. clearly he is getting back towards top form, and if he's healthy and committed, he's a top 50 player. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. He's obviously proved that in his career as he's been ranked in the top 10 before. I think at this point, the field's a little bit deeper than it was for Sock at that point, but I absolutely think Jack Sock, if healthy and committed, can get back to the top 50, there could be 10 Americans in the top 50 at the end of this season. It's not unreasonable to think that should be could and should is too far But it could be the case, and again, that that's one of the takeaways from Indian Wells. Brooksby, perhaps the most impressive on Monday, but the American men in general, exceptionally impressive overall. Since I've talked about the majority of the men's matches, and I do want to talk about what's happening on the women's side as well. I want to talk about one more men's match before we flip gears, and that, of course, is Carlos Alcaraz. What Carlos Alcaraz, the 18-year-old Spaniard, is doing—it's just nuts. And you know, I've talked about this repeatedly on this show here, and I feel like I bring this up whenever we. Talk about him There's a list of guys Who have Been the first To to do just about everything Or the youngest Excuse me To do just about everything In ATP history Richard Gasquet Rafael Nadal Novak Djokovic Juan Martin Del Potro Felix Auger Aliassime and Carlos Alcaraz are always in a in a group of six that whenever we're talking youngest to do X or youngest to do Y, they are always the guys who come up. Now sometimes you see some other names thrown into that list. Certainly Zverev was in that conversation. You look on the flip side, a guy like Bernard Tomić was in that conversation. Ryan Harrison, Donald Young were in that conversation early on in their careers. You know sometimes it doesn't go correctly, but you look at what Carlos Alcaraz has done, and more importantly, you look at the eye test. None of those flops, Tomich, Harris, it's not fair to call them flops. None of those guys had. Just the relentlessness and the weaponry and the combination of, you know, again, relentlessness and, and physicality that Carlos Alcarez brings to the court every freaking time he plays. And you look at Carlos Alcarez over these last fifty two weeks, it's laughable. He's fifty one and sixteen over his last fifty two weeks of competition. That's a seventy six percent win percentage. And again, that includes some challenger success. Fine. I'll talk about just the ATP. He's thirty nine and sixteen in that AT- in that run. Seventy one. 1% of his matches and it's not as though he's playing a cupcake schedule. You look for Alcaraz against top 50 opponents, he's 18 and 9 against the top 50. You look for him against opponents ranked outside the top 20, he's 33 and 10 against non-top 20 opponents. So again, in his last 52 weeks, he's 39 and 16 overall, 33 and 10 against non-top 20 opponents. Now, of course, on the flip side there, you say, well, against the top 20, he's 6 and 6 overall. Yeah, he's 18 years old and he's 6-6 six and six overall against top 20 opponents. And that includes, of course, that five-set win over Tsitsipas at the U.S. Open. It includes his win over Berrettini in Vienna, his win over Sinner in the Paris Masters, another win over Berrettini as well as Schwartzman in Rio on the clay earlier this season. Again, those aren't just top 20 wins. Those are top 10 wins over Berrettini, over Sitsipas, And you look for his record against the top 10 during this span. He's 4-5 overall against top 10 opponents. Like... I'm sorry. You look at the numbers for Carlos Alcaraz. His hold percentage continues to get better and better. And you look for him now again. Over the last 52 weeks, it's at 79.4% overall. You look for him in ATP Tour matches overall. That's at 784 Yeah, that's below the Tour average of Monk's top 50 players of 816 But on the flip side, you want to talk break percentage? During this stretch, again, last 52 weeks, ATP-level matches. First of all, he's breaking serve 34.1% overall but he's breaking serve 32.1% of the time at the ATP level. That number ranks fourth amongst top 50 players. At 18 years old, Carlos Alcaraz ranks fourth amongst ATP tour players in break percentage. He's already sniffing from a number standpoint at the you know that's what Nadal, Djokovic, they put up over 30% break percentage seasons. That's what you do when you're the best of the best in ATP tour history at in terms of returning serve. He's doing that already against again a significant sh- uh, schedule strength at this point of his career. And then there's the eye test. Go watch his match against Roberto Bautista Gut yesterday, a match he wins 6-2, 6-love. Bautista Gut tried to test the Carlos Alcarez backhand corner. He tried to park the bus on that ad side of the court in his responses, and yet the depth Alcaraz continues to produce on that backhand wing gets better and better with every passing match. Simply put, he won the backhand-to-backhand exchanges with Roberto Bautista Agut. He was the guy more willing, more able to successfully go down the line with that backhand, take it early on the rise, hit it with pace, hit it with depth. Most importantly, at 18 years old, he hit such a dynamic ball that he is still able to hit through these Indian Wells courts, which, as we've learned, is damn near impossible to do and then, of course, you know, again, there's the forehand, which is the, his more exceptional wing, which, of course, it rips through the ball, a la Rafa. Like, people get mad when you make that sort of comparison. I'm sorry. Carlos Alcaraz hit an on-the-run forehand passing shot around the alley that landed in, in, the ba- in you know, in that corner of the baseline alley corner that I've only seen Rafa hit. It just was shades of Rafa, where you just say, yep, that's the Rafa impersonation. And I, I think it's a sign of flattery. Like, I don't think, obviously, when you do that, you come with the expectations, does he have to win 21 grand slams? Absolutely not, but the fact that he's even evoking shades of Rafa speaks to the ability of this youngster and how physically gifted he is, and again, the only thing that might be more impressive than his progress on the backhand wing, which, of course, he can still hit the drop shot on, still comfortably hit the slice on, is the progress he's made physically. The guy is freaking jacked, and just... He has an explosive first step, he has the touch you need as well, he has the weapons, he has the topspin, he's got the condensed form, he's comfortable moving forward, the second serve I think gets better and better as well, the first serve is a weapon when it's landing, and I will say the one thing you would like perhaps a bit more of is a slightly higher first serve percentage, he hovers around 60%, far too frequently, but like, he's 18 That first serve percentage, I promise you, is going to get better. And thus, the hold percentage will inherently get better. And once he's league average hold percentage... You know, if you're breaking serve the way that he does, of course, why are Rafa and Djokovic exceptional? Because they hold serve at an elite rate as well. But if you've seen the rise of Alcaraz of late in particular, if you watch the way he served against Roberto Bautista Agut yesterday, was just dominant across the board in that match. You know, again, wins 85% of his first serve points, 50% of his second serve points, faced one break point on the match. He hit his backhand so well that, you know, because Bautista Gou wants to bait, bait you to take the backhand down the line so he can hit his on-the-run forehand. Bautista Gou didn't have the chance to hit any aggressive on-the-run forehands because that's how on-the-run he was against Alcarez. And even when he tried to hit the on-the-run cross-court, well, now Carlos Alcarez has a forehand. And you're just in trouble at that point. And again, Alcaraz just checks off box after box after box. We talked about this months ago here on this podcast, but you look at what he's accomplished early in his career at the ATP level. He's on pace with the with Djokovic's of the world, with the Nadal's of the world. And, you know, the those are the only two guys who have accomplished more than him to this point. He's ahead of Sinner. He's ahead of Federer. He's ahead of Murray. He's ahead of Zverev. He's ahead of all those guys. He has put himself in position. Here's how I always like to joke around and say it with friends. Is he the greatest of all time yet? Absolutely not. Is he not the greatest of all time? And which, like, right away for a bunch of people, you can say, nope, they are not the greatest of all time. Like, who who can I say this about that will not be offended? I'll, since we're just piling on here. I love you, Dennis Kudla. Dennis Kudla is definitely not the greatest tennis player of all time. Carlos Alcaraz is not... Not the greatest tennis player of all time That's what I'm saying to this point of his career Which is, I know a ridiculous metric to measure it by And at A.L. Gruskin, please tell me why I'm ridiculous on Twitter But also tell me that I'm not wrong because he is not not the greatest of all, you know, he's not the greatest of all time yet. But he's also not not the greatest of all time, which is a testament to the success he has had at this point of his career, and thus why he gets the conversation of perhaps the most impressive performer I saw on Monday. But you know, again, you look across the board here, and I'll just finish up these men's results, and then we can lock in on everything that happened on the women's side yesterday. You know, certainly Opelka. Brooksby, the three set wins they had were notable. Obviously, what uh, what Carlos Alcaraz is able to do stands out right away. We talked about Monfiz Medvedev yesterday. These conditions are just brutal for Daniil Medvedev. His backhand's flat. His forehand is doesn't have enough action on it that it rips through the cord. And if you give Gael Monfiz enough sitters and he has that much more time to just rip into the ball, I mean, the guy is a top five athlete in the sports history and you know again you give him that much more time he becomes that much more dangerous it was really hard for Medvedev to play any offense and Monfils did a great job of neutralizing the Medvedev first serve just getting that return back with depth to provide no easy plus one opportunities to Medvedev and Medvedev was searching and scratching his head and you know again just never really found his rhythm in that match now credit to Monfils who you know over the last 52 weeks is one of just 12 players on the men's side to rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage. The fact that he is still this good at this point of his career, perhaps arguably playing some of the best tennis of his career, you look for Gael Monfils again. uh, Turns 36 in September of this year, still number 28 in the world with this Indian Wells round of 16. Monfils back up to number 24 in the rankings Gets to play the schedule he wants At the comfort level he wants At this point of his career When you turn 36 I think that's all you can ask for As a professional tennis player Make some serious coin Getting into all the slams Of course Makes Do some damage there Of course You know Again, I just I can't imagine things breaking better for Mofiz at this point of his career. Uh, so again, all the credit in the world to him. That's a really impressive victory over Daniil Medvedev. Cam Nori continuing to do Nori things. Three set victory for him over Nikolas Bastlischvili. Just physically, he is in his prime, and that makes sense, right? Born in 1995, turns 27 years old either I think in April of this year, if memory serves me correct, or right around there. Point being, uh, you know, again. It's, it's all clicking for Nori on this surface His forehand dynamic enough to still Rip through this court, get some action Then the depth he has on his backhand Just neutralizes everything You give him another half second He just is going to track down the ball He'll play the angles, he'll serve in volley Win that serve, you know, slices you out wide And gets you slowed down I just Was last year's Indian Wells title a fluke? There was no Nadal in the draw there was no Djokovic in the draw. And yet, I don't think you can. Fluke is the wrong word. Unexpected, certainly. But I think we've seen Nori replicate this success now repeatedly. He belongs in this conversation. This surface fits his game extraordinarily well. So, again, really good result for Cam Nori. Rafa Rafaed Yannick Sinner. That's a nice survival for him. Seven six three four six four over Benjamin Bonzi, who of course has been killing it on the Challenger circuit uh, over the past fifty two weeks. Won what like six titles last year, which only gets it would have been a record if Talon Greek sport didn't outshine him by setting an even better record uh, during the course of that season. But extraordinarily impressive. Uh, you know, again, Sinner advances, and you look right now via our friends at Tennis Abstract. Rafa Nadal, the favorite at seventeen point eight percent. Sinner number two. At 13.6. Then you have Alcaraz 13.5, Rublev 11.7. So, as we've been saying on this podcast, and the metrics seem to agree, Alcaraz Center on that top tier already. You know, the numbers like them even better than it likes Andre Rublev, who I don't think, who, again, if you're making tiers, eventual or guys you think are certain to win a Grand Slam title, I think Sinner and Alcaraz would be on everyone's list. I don't know that Andre Rublev would be. So, again, mathematically, via the eye test as well, I think that does make sense, and it does also make sense given his recent form that Rafa is the slight favorite, uh, of or is the favorite, not even slight, above both of them. The last guy I want to talk about here just quickly, what a run from Nick Kyrgios, 4-4, four and four, over Kasper Rude. If that was the Nick Kyrgios we saw compete week in, week out, with that sort of focus and that sort of FU attitude, where it's not an unproductive FU, where it's not an FU at the world, and it's not a, woe is me, I'm sort of out on this match, where it's a, I am locked in and I am here to kill you, sort of FU killer attitude, the best sort of kind. If he plays like that, week in, week out... What a different world we would all live in And of course that is the conundrum with Kyrgios Is getting him to stay Motivated is the wrong word But stay engaged in matches in a positive way Match in, match out, week in, week out That's something he's constantly struggled with Openly throughout the course of his career Obviously there's the You know, the beef between he and Kasparud From a few years ago Clay court specialist, yada 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 Uh, But obviously that played into Kyrios' motivation here entering this match, and you look for Nick Kyrgios, ultimately the 6-4, 6-4 victory. It was how efficient he was, getting early breaks of Rude in both sets and then just ruthless on his serve. And, of course, no one's ever denied that Nick Kyrgios has a top 10 serve, top 5 serve uh, when he's playing and he's healthy and he's clicking and locked in. And, of course, he's able to drive his forehand through any court. I think he gets great depth on his backhand wing as well. And I, I think in particular on that backhand return, he did such a good job of taking that return early on the rise, just getting that ball on Casper Rude's feet to prevent Rude from running around and playing a first forehand. And look, Kyrgios won the backhand-to-backhand backhand exchanges. Kyrios was comfortable moving forward. Of course, a slightly slower court, but still a hard court gives him that much more time to track down the ball, that much more time to run around his own ball and play a forehand, play a heavy forehand in particular into the uh, Casper Root backhand. You forget how gifted Kyrgios' hands are from the baseline when he's hitting that inside-out forehand to perfection and just finding that backhand corner for Root over and over again and then setting up the inside-in slap down the line or the line drive when he's really clicking and it's not just a slap. If we see this Kyrgios, I'm just saying this Kyrgios, the one who was the same Nick Kyrgios who since winning that Australian Open doubles title... Just seems to be enjoying himself on court right now. If this is the Kyrgios we see for the rest of the tournament, you look at his draw. Yannick Sinner next, who's coming off of a three-cent match. Then either Rafa, who he's always gotten up for, or uh, just a big serving battle against Opelka. Mmm, Boy, do I want it. Kyrgios-Rafa is a match, I think, A, I would love to see the ratings for that match, but I think, B, Tennis Twitter gets excited for because, again... We're not you know what no I'm not doing that again. We're not doing the is Kyrgios good for the sport argument. We've done that enough on this podcast. You guys know my answer. It's an overwhelming yes. Now there are inexcusable things that he does that does not mean more broadly Nick Kyrgios is not good for the sport. There's an energy, a passion, excitement he brings and this is the best version of that we're seeing right now unfold at Indian Wells. So again, it's been a really fun uh Indian Wells first couple of days and I think you look at the round of 16 matchups we have on the top top half of the draw right now Kyrgios versus Sinner lock in Shapo excuse me Opelka versus Nadal hello Brooksby versus Nori exceptional Alcaraz versus Monfils athleticism galore yeah that's good stuff on the top half of the draw. And, of course, you look here today. Your closest matchup is the Tommy paul Demon hour 52-48 split. But you've also got 54-46 Bublik Dimitrov. You've got exciting matchup across the board. The contrast in size, Schwarzman, Isner, Munar, Fritz. The contrast in style, Botic uh, versus Kasmenovic, Two guys on the rise. Big serves in Berrettini and Lloyd-Harris. It's good stuff, really good stuff here, and we talked about it yesterday. Welcome to life as an ATP fan. This is where, welcome to the WTA world, ATP fans, because that's this is the sort of excitement you get week in, week out on the WTA tour. And with that in mind, let's talk about the most impressive results and some of the big takeaways from the women's side uh, uh, from, uh, excuse me, Monday's action. I want to start with Marketa Vandrusova. You know I call her the Druce. There's a reason why. Simply put, she has been outstanding. uh, Really since earning that Olympic silver medal uh, in July of last season. And I know this is something I've tweeted out. And I know this is something I've discussed repeatedly here on this show. But you look for Marketa Van since that run to the silver medal in July of last season. She's just been on a heater. She's now, uh, I believe you look, yeah, with this victory, 31-10 overall during this stretch of time. That's a 76% win percentage, folks. And again, it's not a cupcake schedule. You look for her during this stretch of time against top 10, uh, excuse me, top 20 opponents. Uh, she has had a significant amount of success. She's 8-4 and four overall with wins over players like Collins, Svitolina, Pavlchenkova, Rabakina, Osaka. And now the win over Annette Kanteve, 3-6, 7-5, 7-6. And what was a survival of a victory for Von Drusseva and... You know, again, you watch the tiebreaker and you th- you think, well, was it all gimmicks? Was it all just drop shots over and over again that happened to work on this day that threw Contave off her game? I don't think the answer to that question is yes. I do think ultimately it was the drop shot that helped her in the tiebreaker and the indecisiveness it introduced into Conteve's thought process because she just felt so much pressure to put that drop shot away. But Vandrisva does such a good job of reading the direction. You're going to go with your approach shot that's the thing that's so enticing about Marquette Van is It still just feels like she's figuring out exactly what Plan A is, point in, point out for her. Because obviously, when you think Van you think about the craft, the backhand drop shot, forehand drop shot as well. Her ability to hit angles, the loopiness and high elevation of her forehand. But when I saw her play this match against Conteve, it was the line drive on the backhand, just her ability to absorb, redirect there, and then when she wanted to step into that ball as a plus one as well, her ability to drive it both cross court and down the line, her ability to tailor that ball and get better and better at it, on top of the variety she can implement point in, point out, on top of the physicality she brings as good of a mover, anticipator in my opinion, as you're going to find in the women's game. She just make, makes life li- miserable for you. And credit to Annette Cantave, who came out swinging in those first two sets because there are times when the Von Druseva forehand, as loopy as it is, it'll sit short in the court for you to attack. Or when she's not playing full speed on the backhand and hitting through that ball fully, it gives you a really good rhythm because it's just a solid topspin shot that you can absorb, redirect, and implement your own pace on. And Cantave did so well with that uh, in set number one, swinging freely. But again, the Relentless of Vondrusova, she works her way into that match physically, implements some doubt into the mind of Conteve, and then all of a sudden, you look, and, you know, Marquetta Vondrusova takes that second set, 7-5, and then, look, I mean, that third set was a barn burner. Vondrusova had her chances, Conteve had her chances, ultimately, Vondrusova was the more solid of the two players, and she guessed right a couple of times off of a couple of drop shots. Uh... In that breaker, Contevay isn't able to put away the approach. That's your match, folks. That's how thin the margins are. And again, when you look for Marquette van Drusvo, she's doing all this on hard courts, folks, right? Because, of course, her signature result still, that 2019 French Open final. But you look for her, this 31-10, and every single match has come on a hard court. We haven't even hit the clay court portion of the season, and she's 31-10 and in heading into that stretch. As such... I think she's got a top 10 push in her this season, and you look for the Druce with her result, it's crazy to think the 22-year-old only at 32 in the rankings, and with another victory, she's not even going to crack the top 25 here. If she wins this event, she wins the event, she'd be around 15 in the world. That's how deep right now the rankings are on the WTA Tour, but Von Drusseva is certainly one of the 40 top 10 uh, 20 players out there right now, and again, with with all of the success she's had since the Olympics, I think there's a top ten push in Von this season. Obviously the clay courts, her the movement, the angle she's able to play, how difficult it is to put her away. We're seeing that manifest itself here at Indian Wells. But again, I think this result has more to do with the variety breaking the rhythm of Contave than it does for any disappointment for Annette Contave. But certainly, you know, again, you keep waiting for that Annette Contave breakthrough Massive title run We've seen her win Some big events But you know Never the The 1,000 Never the Never the Grand Slam Semi-final Grand Slam Final run That all of her Non-major Or 1,000 level Event success Would dictate She should be having Right now And as such You know again Is she on that Ashley Barty level Is she on that Peak Naomi Osaka level right now, despite all of her other success. No, she's in that best of the rest category. She's in the very good, not elite. She's certainly very, very good. But if we're talking elite, I mean, can she win a Grand Slam? Absolutely. If she wins a Grand Slam title, would that change the narrative? Would it's crazy to say is she not elite if one title changes the narrative? So you know what? I backtrack there. She is elite, but is she a sure? Uh, it's hard. I mean, again, this is. I guess she's great. Is she elite? Not yet. She is great. And, and, you know, great players win grand slams, but she's not elite yet. She's not a surefire contender because, again, we still continue to see these sorts of results that the, the rest of the field is still close to Annette Conteve. And, you know, again, she doesn't have the overwhelming power, she doesn't have the overwhelming first serve. She's really good at everything but perhaps not exceptional at anything, except for maybe her movement, which is acceptable. Well, first of all, she's exceptional pejoratively at anything, but if we're creating tiers here, she's not exceptionally elite at anything. She's just very, very good at everything, and as such, you know, again, if you don't have that overwhelming weapon, if you can't capitalize on every short ball Vondrusova offers you, if you start to get indecisive, Vondrusova is going to make you pay over time, and that's what Von Drusseva was able to do, so now she advances to the uh, round of 16 here where she now faces Veronica Kudermatova, and you look for Kudermatova, she advances uh, with a 6-4 love-2 victory over Buskova, Buskova who of course had a great stretch down in Mexico, forced to withdraw from the match with an ankle injury. Hopefully she's okay moving forward, and it's been great to see uh, Buzkova work her way now comfortably back inside the top 100, and that's where you need to be to get into Grand Slams and be in the ball game to make the sort of top 50, top 30 sort of rankings pushes uh, that you hope to make, but again, uh c- Kudumatova, another fantastic start to her season. She's playing well. I thought Maria Sakari was excellent in a 3-0 victory over Petra Kovitova. Now it's not 2019 Petra Kovitova. It's not Prime Petra Kavitova right now, but Sakari was the front runner from the start. She brought a, a dose of physicality. She made you know she tracked down just about every plus one shot Kavitova threw at her, and then Kavitova started pressing. The error started piling up. Credit to Sakurie for that victory. You know the Rubakina Azarenka match was a weird one, and you know I'm, I'm I'm not exactly sure. I haven't researched enough into it and what was it, what exactly happened because I know Azarenka at one point moved to tears during the match. Need to look into more what happened there before I comment on it. But look, a healthy Elena Rubakina. I said before the season I think she's going to crack the top ten at some point this year. I stand by that take. She is by every sense for every you know she's this year Sabalenka in my mind or maybe not quite peak Sabalenka, but on the way to becoming that Sabalenka power tennis sort of player in the top 10. I mean, we talked about Iga all yesterday. I think the question, is Simona Halep in her prime right now or not, is a fascinating one that we will have all season long. Really good win from Layla Fernandez, absorbing the first strike and just, again, neutralizing all that Shelby Rogers threw at her, making that match physical. Track me, Tennis, for Bedosa, Ceribes Tormo, and one of my takeaways there is, you know, again, I still don't, what is, I think Paula Bedosa struggles to generate her own pace, and I think that matchup is actually a nightmare for her, because again, she wants to be the counterpuncher, she wants to take your power, Tennis, use her athletics uh, athleticism to absorb, redirect it, and again, you know, she hits a really good three-quarters ball, but that, that peak is power, she's not quite on that Sabalenka, Osaka sort of elite power tennis level, and so this was a tricky matchup for her, and yet, she managed to out-physical uh, Sarah Cerebus Tormo, she broke serve of Cerebus Tormo whenever she needed to, seemingly, and just again, the depth and the relentlessness of that return of serve, and just, she was the more aggressive of the two players, slightly closer to the uh, to the baseline, now, Again, Cereba's turmoil will sneak forward on the to the net on you when you least expect it, and I love the variety she brings and how it throws off the rhythm of her opponents. But you know, again, that's the sort of match I think Conteve would have won. Well. That actually would be an interesting matchup to watch Kanteve versus Cerebas Tormo because they're not too dissimilar from Von Drusseva. I think Von Drusseva has a little bit more pace, can certainly play a little bit more aggression, a little bit more drive. Certainly the backhand for Von Drusseva drive is the biggest weapon. It would be a bigger weapon than anything Sarah Tormo throws at you, and I just think she finds angles a little bit better. I think Vandrusova's is probably just a slightly better version of Sarah Cerebas Tormo and the lefty version as well. But again, doesn't have the overwhelming weapon uh, so, wasn't able to hit Bedosa off the course. She stays patient, stays balanced, stays mentally focused, ultimately earns the victory. You know, you look beyond, beyond that, Daria Gavrilova, now known as Daria Seville, of course, knocks out Elisa Mertens in three sets. Very fun match. Tough loss for Mertens. Three set win for Golubic over Paulini in a match. That was just strange. But you look overall right now, again, on uh, on the board uh, for these results uh, for the favorites entering the round of 16. Iga Sfjantek, a 20. 20- 24.9% favorite over Angelique Kerber. That's what the eye test says as well. That's what David and I discussed yesterday. Sakari 18.2% favorite. Then Simona Halep 14.5. Then a drop off. Bedosa 9.2. Van Drusova 8.8%. Then you get to the Madison Keys and Rebekah power tennis 6.2, 6.5% respectfully pretty open field unless is going to continue to play the way she has been playing so that will be interesting for all of us to monitor and of course I will be back tomorrow to break down all of Wednesday's results Tuesday's results excuse me Uh, but those are my takeaways from all of Monday's matches again a very impressive very exciting day of tennis that I hope all of you listeners had the chance to enjoy of course again if you missed out on any of the Indian Wells action we are here for all of you listeners and we will be here throughout the rest of this Sunshine stretch I know I got to play makeup for the lack of podcasts last week. That is what we plan on doing here this week. Of course, ATP Challenger pod up right now on the Great Shot podcast feed if you want to hear about the latest and greatest action happening there. College tennis shows every Tuesday and Thursday, broadcasts every Friday and Sunday. Of course, we've got a broadcast here Tuesday, 7 p.m. Eastern time, Texas A&M taking on Ohio State. A little top 25 matchup for all of you fans to enjoy. So if you'd like to tune in, of course, you can come join us then. But again, uh, that is where things stand at Indian Wells. You're looking for the more immediate updates. I will be on Twitter now the rest of this event, offering you my thoughts on the action as it unfolds. Of course, you can find those updates on our, uh, on our website at Cracked Rackets. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube at Cracked Rackets. You can follow me directly at A.L. Drusk. And of course, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of these podcasts possible. A shout out to our friends at Tennis Point as well. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.